wow, this is a church plant. This is a church plant. Um, on about a, almost 100 years ago, on the first Sunday of Advent, uh, a young uh, Lutheran German pastor in his first pastorate in Barcelona, Spain, a, a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, preached his, fir his first sermon in this new community. They were just getting to know him. And it was an Advent service. And he looked at the text, and then he, uh, he described Advent in what I think is a very helpful phrase. And that is, is that celebrating Advent means that we're able to wait. Celebrating Advent means we're able to wait. Advent means uh, that God is coming. The Christians, that's reason to celebrate. That's reason for, to rejoice. Uh, but we're also able to wait. Why are we able to wait? Because on the one hand, we recognize that God has come in Jesus. But we also recognize that he has promised to come again. And so we live in the meantime. We live in that in-between time. But because we recognize who has come, because we recognize the, the character, the quality of the God of the universe in Jesus Christ, we rejoice, we celebrate. And we are ready, we're willing, and we're able to wait until he comes again. And so as we think about that, let's remember that all of the scriptures are pointing to this experience. That, that, that God's people have always been called to wait on the Lord, to trust in him, to trust in his character, and to wait on his time. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and let's look at this, this passage that we have here. Uh, from Jeremiah 33. I'm going to go ahead and read it. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall, he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it is it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That's the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're always recalibrating ourselves to what Christmas means and what 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 uh how we are to respond to Christmas. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at an old testament passage, that you would bring new meaning to us in our walk with you. Lord, we thank you that you are the same God yesterday and today and forever. And I pray that you would strengthen us for our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to take this verse or this uh, this phrase of Bonhoeffer's, and I just want to unpack it a little bit more and think about it in terms of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And what we can learn from looking at this passage is that Jeremiah is able to wait He's able to wait with hope. But Jeremiah also teaches us, teaches us about one who is able to wait until the very end. Uh, he teaches us about one who is able to wait to the very end. So first, Jeremiah teaches, teaches us that he's able to wait. And the reason that he's able to wait is because he trusts in God's character. And because he trusts in God's character, he trusts in God's timing. Now, Jeremiah prophesies here about something that's coming in the future. He's not talking about something that's happening now. 
or then, I should say. He's talking, he's not talking about something that's going to happen immediately. Look, the tense of, the, of that passage is something that will happen. He's talking about something that's going to happen in those days. Uh, it's going to happen uh, at that particular time. And therefore, the task of Jeremiah and the task for Judah is to put their trust in God and to simply wait. And that's incredibly difficult for us, isn't it? It's really hard for us. And so I think with awe and wonder, we're able to look at Jeremiah and go, oh my goodness, he did wait. But I think we're also able to look at Judah and with real humility recognize that they weren't able to wait. But Jeremiah was, uh, was one who did wait, but Judah wasn't able to wait. And that's essentially the pattern of uh, the relationship that God has with Israel. And that's essentially the pattern of the book of Jeremiah. Let me just give a little bit of background on the book of Jeremiah um, in order to understand this passage, right? So Jeremiah was a person Jeremiah. Uh, Israel was a family that because of personal and political division separated into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom retained the name of Israel, but the southern kingdom took on the name of Judah. And Judah uh, made up 10 of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And the, the capital of, of Judah was Jerusalem. And we might think because they retained 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel and the capital was Jerusalem, that they in some sense were, uh, had greater, uh, greater favor from God or that they, were, uh, they retained some kind of spiritual maturity. But that's not what we're meant to see. What we're meant to see is that the vast majority of Israel no longer waited on the Lord. That the vast majority of Israel had gone a different direction. And therefore, Jeremiah is called to Judah. He's called to Judah to, to warn them, to warn them uh, of God's uh, impending judgment upon them. And, but unlike Jonah, we just came through Jonah, right? Unlike Jonah, when, when Jeremiah comes to uh, give them warnings, they don't quickly turn the way that Nineveh did. In fact, it's just the opposite, and it's so painful to even hear about it. Jeremiah goes to, to, to Judah, and for 40 years, nobody listens. Over the reign of three kings, over uh, a, a life's work of 40 years, two people convert in his lifetime. So it's an incredibly difficult ministry. It's a, a, a painful daily task for him. And in many ways, his frustration is a picture of God's longing for us to return, for his people to return. And so that's a little bit of the backstory. But what we see from, from Jeremiah is that Jeremiah's task was to warn and wait, to warn Judah and to wait for Judah. And as he warned and waited, he watched Judah continue to reject God. And in rejecting God, they brought about their own demise. They brought about their own uh, destruction. And in rejecting Jeremiah, of course, what did they do? They reject the Lord. And what we see is that they either didn't understand or they didn't understand that the way God worked was over time. That the way God worked was through time. They rejected as foolishness Jeremiah's patience. They rejected as foolishness Jeremiah's obedience. They ridiculed him. 
for 40 years. So here are two examples that book in that ministry of this great misunderstanding between these two, this family that had been divided. At Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah is talking about how God is so desirous for Judah to return to him. And he's, he takes on the character, uh, uh, the, the, he takes on uh, what he would hope uh, those of Judah would actually say and do. And he says, so he takes, he personifies them in some sense. He says, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. But Judah keeps saying, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. See, he's saying, that, you know, I'm promising to bring healing, but they're impatient. They're hasty. They don't trust that God works in time. They don't trust that God works through time. Uh, in Jeremiah 42, Jeremiah prays for direction. But uh, what happens in, in that is that he prays for direction. Then he waits for 10 days. And after 10 days, the word of the Lord comes. But what happens with Judah, the Judah, uh, with uh, those in, in Judah, is that they, based on those 10 days, they just use that as an opportunity to continue to doubt and disobey. And so what we see is that whether it was a short season or a long season, Jeremiah trusts God's character. And therefore, he's able to trust God's timing. Jeremiah was able to wait. Which brings us to our own season of waiting. Um, which brings us, which is, it brings us to our own season of waiting and tend to ask the question, why is this passage so often used during the season of Advent? Well, one author says this. He says that Advent is a season of expected waiting, tapping into the sense we have that all is not right. The longing for the world to be made right again. It's a season for restless hearts and people weary of a broken world who want with all our being to know there's more than this. So Advent is for lovers of God. Advent is for, for Christians, really a reality check. It's a reality check because we recognize in ourselves that just like those in Judah, we are very susceptible to be persuaded by false gods, uh, false, uh, false idols, foreign gods and false idols, that we are easily persuaded towards instant gratification, instant affirmation, uh, temporary satisfaction. But Advent is a reminder to us all. It's a reality check that we need to pause. That we can be so ambitious to get swept up in the holiday season, you might say, to make the most of this season that we can forget, uh, not to sound super cliche, but we can forget what the season is all about. We have to recognize that in this season that we're meant to pause because there are certain things that are lovely in this world that we want to take part of, part of in, in this world, and yet they can't satisfy the soul. Whether you're a Christian or not, all of us remain waiting. Advent is a time where we can, without any uh, qualification, say, my life is not that different than anybody else. We all long. We all wait. The, the days of ultimate fulfillment are not these days. So uh, celebrating Advent means we're able to slow down. We're able to hear the promises of God and to see how much, and in so doing, we're able to see how much we want, how much we need. From God. 
and that only he can provide, that what he provides is far more than what he provide. So don't let our ambitions make the most, uh, our, don't let our ambition to make the most of Christmas cause us to reflect, to misreflect on what Christmas is all about. Ask yourself the question, what is this vision, what is the vision that you have for Advent and where does it come from? Whose timetable are you on? A meaningful Christmas requires proper preparation for us to fully enjoy it. So celebrating Advent, Advent means that you're able to wait. No matter what the circumstance, you're able to wait. But it also means that we're able to wait with hope. And that reality, that promise couldn't come at a better time for Jeremiah or for Judah. At this particular time in Israel's history, uh, Judah is on the verge of collapse. They are under siege by uh, the Babylonians. They're under siege by King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the time, uh, the armies are circling. Uh, they are about to be carried off and into exile. Jeremiah himself is in jail. He's in prison. And therefore, they are at the most dire of moments. And it's at the most dire of moments that God gives the, those who are most hopeless a promise of the greatest hope. And that is, is found there in verse 15. God's, it says that God will cause a righteous branch to spring up. What is that? What is, why would a righteous branch bring any hope to anybody? Well, to understand the, the context, we need to understand that Israel was always compared to a vineyard. It was always compared to this vineyard that uh, was meant to produce fruit, but the kind of fruit that it produced was always uh, a fruit of uh, inconsistency and, and not a fruit of quality. And so uh, Jeremiah is writing here and he's saying, listen, this our whole uh, uh, society is coming undone. Uh, the axe is being uh, laid to the to the to the vine. Um, uh, the Babylonians are bringing destruction. But there's something that, that's happening that you cannot see. There's something that's happening that you cannot anticipate, and that is is that a new branch is going to spring up. And this branch will be different from every previous branch. This this branch will be different from any promise that you might have heard anywhere else. This branch will be a branch of righteousness. Now, a branch of righteousness, but not just an idea. It wasn't just a metaphor. It was actually a person. It was meant to be a person of a such noble character and perfection. It was meant to be a person of righteousness. And that person would be a descendant of David, would grow out of the stump of Jesse, you might say. And this person would reign not only over Jerusalem and Israel, but he would reign over all the earth, and he would bring justice and righteousness to every corner and crevice of God's creation. No more would uh, the world be a place of idolatry and rebellion and shame. Uh, and no, no longer would destruction come from those, those qualities that I just mentioned. But because of this this branch that would spring up. There would be a new people, there would be a new city, and it would be a community, a world found, founded on his righteousness. 
And the, the name of that branch would be the salvation belongs to the Lord. And that name would be the name of, his, of the people. They would have the same, the, the, name, the same name as the Messiah. And they would re reflect the very same character. That this would happen in time. That God works through time. If you can wait. But you can wait with hope. Why? Because Advent says that God is coming. It's not about our coming. It's about God's coming to us. And what this means is that he's coming to his people even when they're in exile. It means that he's coming to his people even when they're in prison. He's coming wherever you are, whatever circumstance you are in. The righteous branch is going to spring up. The righteous branch has sprung up. Now, let's remember that Jeremiah's prophecies were despised by all the people, but they were true. All of the prophecies of, of Jeremiah, they were despised by the people. They didn't want to hear them. And the more they heard them, the more that they became true, the more that they wanted Jeremiah just away from them. So they put him into, the, into this dungeon. Um, so they were all true, but how much more, hope, how much more might you and I cling to the prophecy of hope based on the fact that all of his prophecies beforehand were true? See, he gives this new promise of hope in the midst of the most dire situation. And it's one that you and I can believe. It's one that, that uh, Israel would come to believe. But how much would they believe in it? So much so that he begins to tell them of, of some of the most famous passages that we know about, right? Such as in, uh, in Jeremiah 21, 29, where he says uh, that you can, well, excuse me. He says that now because of this passage, you can live with hope. You can live as though the Lord has not forsaken you because he's not forsaken. You can begin to plan and prepare despite the, uh, what you see around you. You can you, you begin to plan and prepare. You can, you can live and you can love those around you. You don't have to wait for your, your ideal. You don't have to wait for your ideal of perfection because life is never what we expect. But we can trust in the character of God. We can trust in his timing. And we can do so with a hope despite any circumstances. And so what he does is he says, he, he calls them to go and to dwell in the land in which they're being called into exile. And to live, uh, to build homes and plant gardens in those places. In fact, he leads them in doing that because from prison, he actually buys a plot of land and he makes plans to build his own house. And so what do we read in Jeremiah 29? He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so there's a community of people who are fearing the worst, who are experiencing the worst, and yet he is saying, 
because of the Lord, you can, you can make plans, you can live, and you can love. The Lord is not forsaking you, even though you've rejected him, even though you're experiencing his judgment, you're also experiencing his hope, his faithfulness to you. And of course, Jeremiah, is, it might be easy, right, to say that Advent means that we're able to wait, and that Advent means that we're able to wait with hope. And that's true. But we also have to recognize that Advent also means that when Jeremiah waits with hope, it's not without cost. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations because he lived a life of lament. He lived a life in which he was often weeping. Why, why might he be weeping? Because God's people never turned to the Lord, never knew the Lord in the way that he did, sure. But he was also a person just like you and I. And therefore, he probably wept because he was never appreciated at this time. Because he saw little to no success. Because he was never able to marry. And in a very public ministry, he was a total failure by the standards of the world. This was not a surprise to him because the Lord told him it would be rough. But you can imagine that as he, as he prophesied about God coming in those days that he himself wanted those days to happen now. That he wanted a community that would see him and value him as their own. But to be affirmed, to be brought into a, a family, to be brought into a community. Instead of thrown away, dismissed, thrown into a prison as an by worldly standards, Jeremiah's life was work for a total failure. His life was out of sync with all that was around him. That's why he's the weeping prophet. But he wept in hope. He wept with assurance. Jeremiah was able to wait because he knew the character of God. He trusted the time of, of God. And because this promise of the of, of a new branch brought in hope. But what does that tell us? What can we learn about not just the way that God's act, God moves through the world, but how God enters into the world with Jesus? We can learn a lot by looking at the life of Jeremiah and seeing uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. What does Galatians 4 say about Jesus? It reminds us how God works. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God did what? He sent forth his son. See, Jeremiah tells us a great deal about the price that we receive at Christmas. That like Jeremiah, Jesus knew he was being born into a ministry of constant rejection. That his own people wouldn't receive him. And that was from first to last. From the very first night, there was never any room for, for Jesus. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, but Jesus also wept over his tears. What were the tears of the Son of God? Continuing to wait for you. Continuing to wait for me. 
What does Matthew tell us about Jesus as he overlooks Jerusalem? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather the children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, we tend to believe that a life of faith is all about our own self-denial. It's all about our waiting for God, but both Jeremiah and Jesus tell us something different. It tells us of the profound patience of God for us. It's about his waiting for us. His longing for us. And he longs for us and he waits for us, but he doesn't long and wait for us to clean up our acts, so to speak, first. But he comes to us even while, Romans 5 tells us, even while we were still sinners. And so the Savior says to you and I today, uh, the same thing that he says at the end of time in the book of Revelation. He says, behold, I stand and knock at the door. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. See, we have something in common with Jeremiah. He's waiting for the first coming of the Lord, but you and I were waiting for the second. If you're a Christian, Advent is a season of essentially double waiting. On the one hand, we too are waiting for the arrival of the righteous branch, this Messiah. He who would bring new life to God's people and to the world at Christmas is the yearly remembrance of Jesus' birth. But we are also waiting for his return a second time. One season in which we are preparing ourselves for two arrivals, the already and the not we live in that in-between. But how are we called to live? Well, let me ask. When you reflect upon Jesus, when you look at his life, his ministry, the way that he loved people, when you compare yourself maybe to him, not to those around you, do you get the sense that you're unrighteous? Do you get the sense that you're ungodly? Or to use the language of the Apostle Paul, that you might be a sinner? The greatest gift of Christmas is to receive that which is breaking down the door to be received, to receive Christ. There's no better gift to anyone, anywhere. This is the gift, God says, that you've been waiting for. This is the gift that God has uh, moved through time, in time, to give you. Uh, maybe have you already received it? In the midst of a modern and busy world, have you been too rushed? Are you too rushed? Too hurried? Are you uncertain, maybe, that it's been so long that you can't re-enter into a relationship? Well, know this, that he's standing at the door and he's knocking. That you can receive him this Advent season. See, Jer Jeremiah tells us a lot about Jesus. But do you know that you... That insofar as we follow Christ as Christians, that we tell the whole world a lot about Jesus ourselves and about the love of God ourselves. But unlike Jeremiah, we don't do that alone to get it together. That as a community, we can move about our lives and we can move about this neighborhood, recognizing that we are always an active people, that we're always in waiting. Yes, we have a hope. We have an eternal hope that will not go away. 
we have a new life about us that will not perish, spoil, fade. But we also recognize that we're waiting just like everyone else. And yet we have someone and something to point people towards. And that someone is the Christ child that we see in the major. And that something is the kingdom of God. So what does it look like for us to live as those who are citizens of the kingdom of God in the world? It looks like those who are absolutely confident and abundantly humble. Because so easily, we could be those who are irritation and don't want to hear, but by the grace of God, scales have fallen from our eyes. Our ears have been opened. And then we listen. And we long to be obedient. We long to be patient. And his promise is such is that we will, by increase, be more and more patient and more and more uh, uh, obedient uh, as we move forward. Waiting is not wasted time. Waiting is not wasted time. It's a time where we learn. Where we learn about ourselves. Where we learn about our own needs. But where we also learn about who it is that we're waiting for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you that I can call you Father. Thank you, Lord, that this, this season is one in which it's quick to just begin to giggle. It's easy just to begin to laugh and rejoice at how good you are. And as we look at the lights and the wreaths and the Christmas accoutrements, Lord, so much of us want to just say yes and amen to all of it because it it shouts of your goodness. It shouts of joy and community to us. And yet, Lord, let us not miss the forest for the trees. Lord. Let's, would you help us, Lord, to, to recognize you in, in this season? That we, might, uh, that we might know you, that we might uh, draw closer to you, that we might understand your character so that we can trust you more. It's an opportunity to extend the gratitude uh, uh, that we have experienced in Christ. It's going to be off of our hearts as we continue to worship.